you know, the whole purpose really of starting this organization is I was really frustrated not seeing groups working on prevention. When you always, we always see signs of domestic violence before something actually happens. We should be teaching our youth at a younger age and about what a healthy relationship looks like. We often are only seeing the bad, right? We see the statistics say that, you know, they said more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. So we see all these different things about conflict, but we never are really taught about how to resolve conflict. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblatt, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Her Drive Podcast. I'm very pumped for today's guest, Miss Becky Lee. Uh, Becky and I met in Nicaragua at the beginning of January. We were both there for a friend's birthday celebration. And I had heard of Becky before um, through the, f- the friend who, you know, mutual friend, about what a badass she is. And I had to meet her. And, um, and then upon like seeing Becky, I'm like, yeah, she's super cool, but I didn't know her personal story and what she's doing with her life. And, um, our last night together, there was some time where I got to kind of dive in a bit to Becky's story. And it's just absolutely amazing. And what she's doing with, um, the organization that she founded is beyond heartwarming, warming, and is truly making an impact. So I wanted to have Becky on the show to kind of dive into all of these amazing stories and um, the dynamic woman that she is. So Becky Lee, welcome to Her Drive. No, thank you so much. I'm really excited to even be asked um, to be part of this project that you've created. And um, it's really amazing and also really empowering to be able to connect with other um, like-minded women who not only want to share their story and their experiences, but also be able to sort of touch other people's, you know, heart. But also I think a lot of times when we're going through our own struggles, we think we're going through it alone. And so um, I'm really inspired by your own sort of progression and journey to where you are today, as well as your interests and desire and passion to really connect with other women. So thank you for this opportunity. Oh my God. Yeah. It's such a pleasure to have you. And thank you for those really sweet, uh, kind words. So yeah, I mean, it's a sisterhood and I didn't realize, I don't know, just a few years ago, how important it is to have a sisterhood and a support system to say, you know what, I'm going through a little bit of a something, um, to lean on. And then also to have people to celebrate with you and to understand, um, how important, not only just sharing in the bad times, but sharing in the freaking bomb ass great times are as well. Yes, I totally agree. But thank you. Yeah. So Becky, if um, there was going to be like a big billboard on the highway of life that would (laughs) describe, um, you know, you and what would it say um, and what would it look like? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great, great question. Usually it's like the, what are the three adjectives that describe you that kind of like, you know, more, more in your, in a box. Um, For me, I think when people see me, when I see myself, um, they see passion. They see somebody who is always sort of on the go, um, living their life to their fullest. Um, one of the things that I've 
you know, it's really interesting. Yesterday I was walking to my office and I was in a sort of stressful situation and trying to get all these things done. And, um, this, the woman at the front desk, she said, don't be so serious. You know, you only have one life to live. And typically that is my motto in terms of like, you, you know, we really, there's no really time for regrets. You know, yes, we make mistakes. Yes. We have hurdles and yes, there's little things that can irk us and, you know, put us sort of, um, in a more, um, less, you know, this is now let's, let's, let's work on this. Um, but that's something I think that I've always tried to sort of live, um, to the fullest. Um, I'm, a, I'm a truly a um, glass half full, not a glass half empty person. And I think that also energy and I think perspective is also, you know, um, shown through my friendships with my, with people around me, my family, where we think about life as, you know, this is, this is life, live it carpe diem, um, and really, really move mm-hmm. forward instead of looking at, looking at the past. Amazing. So when you're looking, I kind of want to actually look through the rearview mirror. Sure. Um, <laughs> on your life, and um, you know, if you could, kind of, when someone asks you, um, you know, tell me about yourself. Like, how sure. do you, um, how do you, how do you define yourself and and what you do? I think a lot of the things that I do, and like a lot of the things that drive me, I think are are you know, um, encompassed in the word love and the word in, in really, I think, and I think, you know, all of us have sort of a different idea of what happiness is and what defines happiness for us. And I think as we go through different parts of our lives, whether it's career, whether it's, you know, age, whether it's just different sort of introspective things that we're thinking about in terms of like, Oh, what would be on your gravestone or what would be, what would you want, you know, said at your eulogy at your funeral? Um, for me, I think it's love being loved and also loving fully. Um, and I think that, you know, I think when I probably obviously when I was in undergrad or, you know, when I was trying to figure out career wise what I wanted to do, but also at the same time too, um, you, you know, time passes by and the relationships that you have and the things happen, you're just like, oh, I should have, could have. Um, I've been really trying to really engage in the people that are around me and the relationships that I have to really make sure that they know how I feel about them, but also really, you know, in terms of being, um, having integrity and in, in what you say when you do, but also, also understanding and valuing those relationships. I think specifically where I am today, that this has become, have more, has much more meaning now is due to the fact that, um, my life has been so much around my work and my work being that. You know, I started this organization in 2006 um, as a domestic violence lawyer, wanting to support others going through domestic violence, but also prevent domestic violence from happening. So, working with the younger generation, and I know as much as that, my passions you know really been all encompassing in running Becky's Fund, um, and you know really doing as much as I can to help the people that are affected by domestic violence. I also know that in doing so, I've also hurt relationships with my own friends and family. Mm-hmm. where I haven't put, um, you know, real relationships as a priority where, you know, getting a call or getting a text at 2 a.m. or, you know, early in the morning and, and my partner saying, like, you need to turn off your phone. And, I'm, and then I get guilty saying, well, you know, I don't know if it might be a situation where that person needs help and only I can help that person. And so um, it's, it's been interesting because now, obviously, past the 10-year mark of running this organization, then you also understand and try to so, sort of see like where where am I person my personal life where am I where am I supposed to be in terms of like the typical you know journey 
Um, and then at the same time too, am I fulfilling all the things that I want personally for myself on that end? And so that's something definitely that I've shifted, I think in the last year, even, even, you know, in the trip that we met on, um, in Nicaragua, understanding, um, the connections that you have with people and really, really taking sort of a step back and saying, you know, who do I spend time with? What are those relationships? What do they mean to me? Um, am I giving as much to them as they're giving to me and really putting a value on that? Because I think a lot of times too, you know, get caught up in the emotions, you get caught up in these sort of, um, you know, goals per se. And often those goals aren't really true to who you are. And, you know, and having a really honest conversation, looking in the mirror and saying, you know, are you really happy with what you're doing, with how you're living your life? Um, and then also at the other side, being able to have friends and family who are honest enough with you and who, you know, who can basically call you out and say like, you know what, this is not, this is not, I know you think this is the right path and this is the right thing for you to be doing right now, but it's actually taking away from your, from the bigger picture of what your goals are. Wow. That is really powerful. Um, especially coming from a person who, you know, has created an organization that is addressing an issue that is more pervasive than uh, I think many people even acknowledge. Um, And to hear that you are doing something so powerful in your work, but then that leads to neglect in your personal life um, kind of hits home for me in a lot of different ways. So when you said it's been about a year um, since you've like kind of made this change. So what was the, was there a specific moment where, you were like, Oh my God, I really need to focus on my interpersonal relationships rather than like my professional, um, relationships and and my work. Sure. I mean, there's a couple of things that I'm like really open to talking about because I think that women, a lot of times we wear so many different hats and we typically our hat for ourselves is usually the last hat that we sort of, you know, put on and really, you know, dig into in terms of like what we need to do for ourselves. Um, one of the things that I, I had an event last year, my main fundraising event called walk this way. And one of my close girlfriends, she's probably, she's my youngest girlfriend, but she's one of the most honest. I met her at, at a time of our, both our lives where we both were going through stuff. And, um, she has been always very amazing and very honest with me. And, um, she had just moved to New York going through her own stuff and started a new job. And she actually came down, um, the, the month and the weeks before the big event, because, um, some of the main leadership components of the event were, 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 were lacking and had fallen to the wayside due to some just schedules and people had stuff coming up. And so after the event, maybe, you know, um, a couple months later, then she was like taking me aside, giving me some, just some wake up calls about, you know, the people that, have committed themselves to the organization, you know, yes, because they believe in the cause, but more so because of their relationship and their friendship and their love for me, you know, as a person, but also as a friend and understanding, you know, often we take people for granted, not even realizing it until something happens. And then you look back, but in the rush of getting things done, often you don't have time that to sort of reflect because then you move on to the next thing. Um, and also for, you know, for myself, I'm um, 41 years old. And one of the things that when you always think about like, I should have, I could have, I should have been doing this at this part of my life. Uh, one of the things that I like, you know, not regret, but then you wonder like, was I supposed to, or was I, should I slow down in this just juncture or in this relationship or in this time period? Um, 
and like talking to other women, especially in this age group where 35 and over who want to have children, but maybe don't know if it's the right time or with the right person, but also the having the idea of talking about your own health and your own sort of personal sort of priorities. And so I, um, I actually froze my eggs a couple years back. Um, but then in terms of just thinking about that, you know, in this, in this next sort of being in your forties and what does that look like as a woman? Um, you know, yes, with your career, but also the quote, you know, how do you balance both, you know, your personal and your professional? And I think we often don't talk about it because we're, I don't know if it's embarrassing or more so like, why is it something that is something that's so taboo to address? Is it a weakness because men and women talk differently about um, balancing personal and, and professional because of our biological clock and those issues around that? Um, but that, you know, a lot of those sort of questions that I was putting out into the open and sharing openly with girlfriends who, you know, were asking, well, you know, why did you do it? Um, how much money does it cost? And, you know, would you, how, do you have any recommendations about talking about it or, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and even friends who were been married who have kids and then, you know, felt like after they had gotten married and had children, um, we, our friendship sort of went to the wayside a little bit more because they felt like we didn't have as many common interests or they said that they felt bad that, you know, their issues, problems they were talking about seemed so trivial to, you know, my, my whole issues about helping people like, you know, um, save their lives. But then I was like, it's not about that. You know, at the end of the day, it's about following your passions and following your own personal goals. And we all have them. And I think that women often, we, you know, when we're going through different changes in our lives, um, different than men, I think men can put things to the side. They can, they can compartmentalize much better in terms of like, you know, when they get in a fight, they can talk it over and, you know, the grudge is gone right away. But that's one thing that I've been saddened from, you know, hearing other women and other female uh, friends experiences and then feeling that they, we can't really share one different sort of different things come up that sort of, they feel like, well, now we're, we're, we're in a different type of relationship or now, um, I don't feel that, you know, I'm as close to you for the, for this, for, you know, X, Y, Z. So I don't know if that was an answer to your question, but just sharing some of the different things that I've seen in the last year that I think, um, specifically as women, we should be more, we should, we, we should realize the power of being able to have this open discussion and sort of setting our sides, our, our, our insecurities or even some of these stigmas, I think that we um, see attached to certain, certain issues that we talk about. Oh, I definitely agree. I, um, I believe in as much as possible with tact being radically honest. Um, and yeah. that's not only just in your relationships with others, but more importantly with yourself. And I spend I'm, I'm either with a lot of people or I'm completely alone. And lately I've been mainly alone. Um, and sometimes I wonder, I'm like, am I, am I messing with myself right now? Like, am I being honest or is it like my itty bitty shitty committee, like messing with me? And you know, it's in those moments where you need to reach out to other people and who truly understand the path that you've been, um, walking and have been alongside you. And for the longest time, like I just wanted, I had very, um, shallow relationships, not to say that I didn't value or love the people, but I wasn't allowing them to truly know me or like bear witness to the person that I am. Um, because I was afraid of like flaws and other things that would come up. And now I've realized, you know, I've embraced who I am. I like, I like the bullshit that I've done. they like, 
done to myself and put myself through, I think it builds character. And um, I also feel more comfortable in being vulnerable. And I feel like through being vulnerable with everyone, whether it's male or female, it allows them to like drop their walls and give a little bit and be more vulnerable. And I'm never a person who uh, really wants to attack. I want to like love, like you said, like focusing on that word of love. So, um, you know, in realizing, okay, should you, should you slow down? Should you speed up? Like, I don't think those questions are ever going to go away, especially for females. Like we have so many different titles and hats that we have to wear. And, you know, I'm going to be turning 30 this year. So talking about the whole like fertility thing is a whole nother subject. Um, and I've never even wanted children, um, never had that burning desire, but then as the time is ticking, I'm thinking, well, shoot, should I do the, you know, the freezing of the eggs thing? Um, should I have like gone back to, you know, my relationship and speaking about being very honest, um, I was married and you met my ex-husband in Nicaragua who we travel together. We're friends. Like it's a really weird relationship between he and I. Um, and sometimes, you know, he and I both question, like, did we mess up by getting a divorce? Like we could have been together for like, uh, nine years now and we're still friends. Um, and those are, those are the weird questions that pop up, but I have chosen to walk this path of like being an explorer and an adventurer. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to, this relationship can't work. And I'm going to focus on the things that, that like I need as an individual. And I still question it. Um, and there's no, you can't go back in time and change it. All you can do is like focus on the, on the now and the forward and, and try to apply, you know, these lessons learned, um, in, in life. So that's kind of just like off on a tangent for me, but I kind I feel as if I can relate to you on so many different levels. And I love that you're having these discussions with women and, you know, focusing on your, your interpersonal relationships, but you're know, looking back through your life. I would really love to kind of start at the, the genesis of your story of, you know, study, um, you focused on women's studies, I believe in undergrad and then kind of like, can you walk us through like the road trip of your life thus far um, sure. and how it's led you to creating uh, Becky's fund? Sure. So I um, was always interested in women's issues. Um, initially when I entered Michigan, I was pr- I sort of on the pre-med route. Uh, my father's a doctor. My sister's a doctor. That wasn't obviously my sister is younger than me, but I think all of us were sort of in this, <clears throat> I was raised very, um, you know, the whole idea about giving back and that how much you, how much you gain by helping others, but also to, um, you know, sort of, it was more probably obviously under a Christian and sort of this religious sort of, um, aspect of, you know, like, um, philanthropy, but it was something that I think my parents just instilled in us growing up, um, from a, from a very, very early age where even they were going on mission trips. I remember being like seven or eight and my parents saying to me, if we don't like make it back, because they were going to often communist countries as well, saying like, these are the, these are the directions you have to like call your aunt. You have to transfer these funds. I mean, being seven and being told like, this is, you know, like this is how you give back, you know, you were fortunate enough to have the life that we have and, you know, to live, live, you know, um, sort of with the promotion of service. I mean, that's what I was raised with. So I understand also too, where my sister and I both sort of had this, uh, you know, so the perspective of what we want to do with our careers in the same way as helping other people. Um, when I got to Michigan, 
med school was really not in the books for me. Chemistry and me, I, we didn't get, not, get along at all. And um, so, but I, I saw other routes. And when I, you know, one of the things that I've always loved talking, I've always loved meeting people, loved hearing their stories, loved, you know, finding connections. You you, you always see sort of the value of people and who they're where they're coming from or why they are they where they you know, they are and how they respond to something due to whether it's nature versus nurture. And it was fascinating to me. Um, and so when I went to, got to Michigan, I actually met a professor who was, um, she was at the law clinic working to defend women who had killed their abusers in self-defense. And, um, she was this amazing, amazing woman, Andrea Lyon. And basically after she spoke to our class, I was in a class called women in prison, helping women after their sentencing was over, helping them acclimate back into society. So whether it was helping them find a job, housing, finding their, their kids again, um, it was this class where I, I met this woman and she, you know, I, I went up to her basically asking her if I could intern with her that summer. And so that summer I interned and, you know, the cases that we worked on helping women, whether they were being trafficked or they were in jail because they were accomplished not unknowingly, you know, to a, a drug, a drug, you know, a case or <clears throat> even with domestic violence. And so um, after working with her, I realized a lot of the different sort of pieces that were part of this whole problem of, women being able to leave domestic violence due to the different pieces, whether it's not having a lawyer, not having enough finances, resources, being blamed. Um, and so I ended up, after working with her, then applying to law school. Um, going to law school after taking a year off, I, I taught kickboxing and some other fitness classes. I was always into fitness as my like, stress release. Um, and then went to um, Pitt for undergrad, uh, middle, um, um, for law school after going to Michigan and then moving out to DC, um, after finding a job that was specifically tailored to, uh, you know, d d helping not just women, but women and men, um, be able to get out of the situation that they were in, as well as helping to improve the policy surrounding domestic violence survivors. Um, and then randomly I was recruited in 2006. Um, there was a casting agent that, you know, was looking for, applicants uh, at the time uh, my season of survivor was divided into quote races and one of the problems that they were having in finding an asian woman was that not many asian applicants female applicants were applying and so she had seen my picture in my my sort of my profile on myspace which was you know back in the day a different sort of that was the original sort of social media site obviously at that time they were using more from, from music you know and and um finding talent and so I applied with this casting agent asking me to, you know, to submit my application. Um, I, I, at the time, thought it'd be an amazing ex experience as well as opportunity to be able to highlight the problem of domestic violence. You know, domestic violence affects you know, one in three women and one in four men, and that's only what's reported. And I thought that it'd be a really, you know, a really cool experience to be able to highlight an issue that's not often talked about. We only usually hear about domestic violence when we when we're talking about a tragedy, and then we were going back to what could have been done, what were the you know warning flags, um, and so I was very lucky to be able to to, to try out, um, make the show, and then um, two thousand six basically. Um, the experience of being on that reality show where it was, you know, a, a really fun experience. We got to meet a lot of amazing people. Um, and then I was able to fight hard and come in third place. Um, I won some money and I won about 85000 And then I put that money um, to starting the organization Becky's Fund um, when we got our tax, um, you know, our nonprofit status in 2007. And one of the um, gentlemen, the, actually the guy who won the million, his name was Yul Kwan. He's also a lawyer as well. Um, he now is working at Facebook. 
out in California. But he also then, um, I, he joined my board and donated 25000 initially um, with his earnings in the very start as well. And, the, you know, the whole purpose really was starting this organization is I was really frustrated not seeing groups working on prevention when you always, we always see signs of domestic violence before something actually happens. Um, and also the fact that we should be teaching our youth at a younger age, you know, both young men and young women about what a healthy relationship looks like. We often are only seeing the bad, right? We see the statistics say that, you know, they said more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. So we see all these different things about conflict, but we never are really taught about how to resolve conflict. Um, and so I really wanted to focus with our mission on creating the space and addressing prevention, but also a second, um, allowing the space to have men and boys be part of the conversation. Because obviously, you know, a big part of groups today working in the space we're always talking about we need to save these women from you know from from abuse and that savior mentality is actually not empowering. Um, you know, really, our goals as advocates, as friends of people going through this, is that we want to help somebody help themselves. And so, for me, you know, to say you need to leave now or you need to get out of the situation and do X Y Z, we're being no different than the abuser taking their power away um, to tell them what to do. You know, and so I really tell people. I know that you want me to talk to this person. People always, always say like, well, can you call my sister or can you, can you um, call this person and tell them to leave? I'm like, actually, no, it doesn't work that way. That person has to make the decision themselves, just like any addiction, you know, problem where you, and also second, at the end of the day, that person has to make decision because they are the ones that have to live with it. And so our goal and our job as advocates is to help empower them, help them understand what the options are, what, what, what possible places they can go or do um, to be able to help them get out of the situation, but then also build them up. I mean, domestic violence really breaks someone down mentally, psychologically. And so one of the biggest parts of why someone doesn't leave is the fear. And, you know, having been told by somebody that you're worthless, that you can't do this, that who else is going to love you again, you know, like, like this, like this person. And so I always encourage people who want to help somebody getting through the situation is help build their confidence up. They're not going to leave until they feel confident that they can leave as well as I feel like they can safely leave too. And so um, that's sort of a short summary of how, you know, I've started and how I came about to going from law school, you know, and specializing in domestic violence then to um, starting this organization because I saw that there was a specific niche um, and also um, sort of a hole in some of the services provided by domestic violence groups today. Wow. Well, thank you for that amazing summary. I have so many questions um, sure. to follow it. I, I guess sure. my first question is, why do you think that you were drawn to um, domestic violence sure. rather than some other, uh, you know, challenge? Sure. And that's, so I often get the question, like, did you have a situation? Are you a survivor of domestic violence? Like, why are you so passionate about this issue? And so it's always, you know, the first question and completely honest, like I've never been affected. I, you know, I grew up in a very loving, um, very, very, very kind and generous and like the upbringing where, you know, um, my parents are amazing parents and they're through their leadership and example, like, you know, I, that's how I want my relationship to be, you know, with my partner, but also with my friends and loved ones. I think for me, it was more so seeing the fact that, you know, 
seeing who it's affected, whether it's my, my personal friends or even, you know, in terms of seeing how it can happen to anybody. Um, randomly, I think that one of the things that we never really talk about is that a lot of the stigma attached to talking about this issue. And so the more I started talking about it after, you know, talking to groups of people, talking at schools, I mean, at least one person at every single speech I've ever had talking about this issue, even even if I'm sitting on the bus or on the metro or on a train going to it, going on a trip on a plane, everyone's been affected by this issue. And while, yes, we talk about statistics of one in three, one in four, that's like the whole idea about the whole personally affected. Everyone's been touched by this issue, whether they realize it or not. And I think that to me is so powerful that the fact that we, the more we talk about it, the more we scratch at the sort of the surface of t- the stigma talking about this issue, the more it allows people to come forward and talk about it and say, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to face my own issues with this, with this problem, but also help other people that are going through it who think they're alone. Perfect example. I don't know um, if how, I know you've been traveling a bit, um, but even this last week, um, on Monday, uh, there was a really big push and a gr- really big story that came out with Evan Rachel Wood, who talked about how she had been in a very abusive relationship in 2010. So she started helping to trend the new um, hashtag, I'm not okay. And um, she started it on Monday and then some other friends of hers, both celebrities as well as other sort of people in that world um, also started sort of sharing their stories. But because of the fact that domestic violence compared to like the Me Too movement and sexual assault, because of there's a different sort of, I think, um, connotation that's attached to domestic violence where there's a lot of blaming saying, well, if you knew this person and this person was you know bad to you and hurt you, why would you go back or why would you stay? Versus with sexual assault, there's a different, I think, um, sort of framing about talking about sexual assault. And so I think one of the issues that has come about with domestic violence is still there's this whole idea where um, a lot of victim blaming still happens today. I think that's why the issue is not talked about as openly. Um, but at the same time, too, you know, obviously all the domestic violence advocates, the movement, when we when we heard and talked, to, started seeing this, this this trending hashtag as well as these stories of people sharing their stories online, and, you know, a lot of us were really excited to see this finally happening because it's been so long since really seeing a lot of, you know, sort of um, public sort of um, confirmation and talking about, you know, what domestic violence is, who domestic violence affects, and how do we help, you know, uh, de-escalate domestic violence from occurring. Right. Well, I think um, as someone who has been, um, I've been a victim of domestic violence on so many different levels, Um, like, like lived it, breathed it. It impacted me from the time I was, you know, a small child, up to even recently had some, some, I would call them some mine Fs going on with somebody that was, I didn't, I know all the signs of someone who is an abuser because I've lived through it. And I've had that, um, that initial con- mind control that has happened to me and all the relationships first. Like I felt like that was the first step as like someone mental, like t- treating me very, like I'm very, very loved. And then all of a sudden things just started to be twist and like gaslighting and all this yeah, weird behavior that was crazy. Yeah. The type of gaslighting. Right. Today, and then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you look at the, the, for me, I'm like, I'm like looking at this situation. I'm like, I'm completely sane and I'm coming from yep. m- my place of love. And then like this person saying, no, it happened this way. And I'm like, wait a minute, that, that can't yeah. be right. But after yeah. you are going through this for so long, you've already been locked in by love right. or what you think right. is love. Right. And then right. it's all of a sudden things 
slowly twist. And then, then you're being physically abused, but you're like emotionally attached to this person. And I'm a very strong, independent, loud mouth, like shoot from the hip type of person in many moments. And it's weird for me to think back to in my right. life, like, Oh my God, like you, how the hell did you become a victim? And if right. you became a victim, right. women who are not as, I don't want to say not as strong, but like not as like tough. Um, how on earth are they ever going to get out of it? Um, because yeah. they not feel, they're not feeling empowered and to break right. that cycle and to talk about it is so important. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. So for people who are listening can you kind of just touch on what are the signs of um, domestic, domestic abuse? Sure. What you just mentioned is, is um, very common, which is, I think why, another reason why you talk about why, you know, why are you interested in working in this issue is that some of my hardest and sort of more, my most, I think um, we think about situations and clients that we've helped have been, most heartbreaking because they're exactly the situation that you're talking about. They are educated. They are, you know, everything sort of their, their whole journey through life and through like everything from schooling to, you know, sort of the little check marks they've made on their checklist for, for their journey into adulthood. Um, they look just like that. They look just like that. So I think that when you get into situations where, um, you know, like someone goes back or why someone stays in an abusive relationship, the hope that you can, you can be the one that to change that person, the hope that, um, well, if I would just love this person enough and just get through this and not, you know, I know that they came up in a broken family or they're dealing with their own, their own addictions or their own problems. You know, I need to be the stronger person to make sure that, you know, they get, they get through this. And so I think that a lot of that, again, as women, um, with, with personalities that were strong and also trying to figure out how do we do this? You know, I don't need someone else's help. I can figure it out, figure this out. And so that's often one of the biggest hurdles I think in someone in this situation, because they think, well, if I could just do X, Y, Z a little bit more, I know that I could help this person, uh, you know, change and, and not lose their temper. And, um, you know, maybe going through even, we'll go through anger management together or, you know, through counseling together. But obviously if that person doesn't want to change, you can't, you know, change that person. So that's one of the things that I, is probably one of the most eye opening I think, situations people don't realize that I think the stereotype of the person who goes through this abuse, but also the shame with that. A lot of the women who I've, you know, worked with who had those degrees, who came from loving, I mean, everything and they were saying, how could I, gotten to this place, you know, and how do I get out? But then at the same time too, but I'm so embarrassed that I've gotten this far into, and so deep into this relationship, um, that I don't want to ask for anyone's help. I want, I want to figure out how to dig out of this by myself. So obviously some of the, you know, the easy signs that we all recognize like stereotypically like in the movies and, you know, even in, you know, in the definitions of the physical abuse, the, the black guy, the, the bruises, um, you know, I almost, you know, even like wearing a turtleneck when it's summertime because you're trying to, you know, cover up marks on your neck or marks on your arms. Um, but then there's the deeper, there's obviously the, the verbal, um, the mental, the little jabs. Um, you're not going to wear that tonight. Are you, um, or, you know, like, did you, you know, little, little things that aren't direct. So then, like you mentioned, psychologically, they start adding up and they start adding up to make you doubt yourself, make you doubt, not just, you know, physically like your appearance or your own, like, you know, successes, but even in decision-making. Um, making you think like, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe, maybe that, maybe, maybe he's right. Or maybe she's right that, you know, that this is something that, you know, is, is not, it shouldn't be really important to me that, you know, and so you start doubting, um, your own, your own things, that, that your own values of what you used to believe in. You also stop 
sort of um, checking in with the people that you, you know, you care about before. And so there's a lot of that jealousy that turns over, like, you know, why do you have to go on? Why do you have to go home for Christmas? You know, why don't you just stay with me? If you really love me, um, you would do X, Y, Z. If you really cared about me, you would do X, Y, Z. Um, threatening to hurt. I mean, we often hear stories. Well, he said, or she said that if I leave or if I, you know, if I don't come back to that person, that relationship, he's going to kill himself. He's going to hurt the pet. He's going to hurt the dog. He, you know, he's going to, um, he threatens to do this. And so a lot of that really manipulative, um, and also threats to harm, threats to hurt that then make you, make you feel guilty that you are, you know, making the situation worse by not, not by not staking the relationship. Um, but also the, the psychological and the technical tech, uh, with technology today, we see so much oh, the gaslighting that we see, as well as abuse of technology, because we're so dependent on GPS. We're so dependent on our cell phones, on our you know to drive somewhere, um, checking in our social media. It's so easy to easily stalk somebody. And I think the, another thing when you know relationships start out with like, well. Let's be let's be honest with each other. Let's share each other's passwords. Let's share each other's you know all our accounts. Let's you know I want to see what you know. And then the whole thing. Well, if you don't share it with me, what are you hiding? That whole like reverse sex psychology. And so, you know, a lot of that obviously has to do with control. So if you see little little jabs at you know trying to for that person trying to maintain control, but in different tactics, whether it's psychological, whether it's verbally, obviously physically is you know the most obvious one. You know take a step back. I think it's really important to take a step back and to ask questions like, you know, what, before I met this person, before I was in this relationship, how did I normally do things like that were in that area? How did I normally respond? How did, how did those things normally make me feel? And I think, you know, if you can ask those questions and feel that you're being minimized, that you're being, you know, sort of, you know, you're told that your opinion is not, not worthy, that it's not as important, that you're asked to always to check in, that your opinion by itself is, is not, you know, is not enough. Um, I think those are some of the things that you can also, you know, sort of um, question and sort of evaluate in terms of if, if you are in an unhealthy relationship. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I I just listening to you like, yes, I'm just like checking off all of the boxes. Um, And I think the most important thing is like initially in the relationship, if there's like some, some, the person says something that kind of like hits you in the heart with like a bolt of lightning, but not in a positive way. It's like, uh, that's not, that's like for me, like for sure, that's this like a sign to, um, to, to, to definitely take a step back and analyze the relationship. And, um, and I yeah. think there's another piece of it too, is that we have to remember that it's, it's really personal. And so when I go and teach, uh, you know, talking about warning signs and healthy relationships to even like a high school, high school students, um, we, we do this exercise where I have them, um, it's like a privilege exercise. And so I had them stand up and I read a bunch of like, it's just statements. I have a credit card that I could live in a hotel for, you know, for a month. I have friends who I call within the next 30 minutes. If I was in trouble, I have, you know, all these, I have a car I have, you know, I, I, um, I feel my mental health is at a level where I know that if someone said something mean to me, you know, I would, I would respond in this way, or I'd be able to reach out to someone to lean on. So another thing I think that we forget and we also do, because it's a self protection mechanism. I think we're saying that it were, if I were her, or if I were him, I would just, I would leave. So I, I want to make it, you know, very clear to people understanding that every relationship is very personal. That's abusive. If your abuser knows that you need your, 
you know, your, um, your meds for, you, cause you have diabetes or that you need, you need, um, some, some medication for, for, um, for anxiety or for depression, or that you need to every day do something that, that helps you with your, with your schedule, or with your, just your life. I think that's really important to note that abusers are very specific in their manipulative and abusive tactics. That's really personal to you. And so I want people to understand also too, that that's, I think, a sort of differentiated understanding when you, I think we make that sort of statement or saying that, well, if I were him, I would have, of course, left. Like, I don't know why this person went back. And so that's something that I think that it's a lot of victim blaming in understanding why somebody gets stuck in this abusive relationship, even though on the outside, they, everything might, might look, you know, really, really rosy. Oh, exactly. And, um, you know, I think one of the most embarrassing moments of my life was in college when I was dating someone and, you know, we had this horrible incident being, you know, dragged by my hair, thrown down the steps, you know, me shoving him to get him away from me. And, you know, he like nearly falls through a window and is broken. It cuts him like the most, one of the most traumatic moments in my life. And the whole time being shouted these horrible things to me that were really just diminishing my self-confidence. And like, I cannot get those voices out of my head even now, like, oh my God, nine years later. Um, but after that was going back home, telling my mom everything that had happened and my mom who doesn't drink, like opening up a can of beer, like she was so stressed over this. And then a few months later, re-engaging in that relationship with that person and then telling my mom and back with him, um, which, you know, was horrible, horrible. Um, but you know, doing the work and like stepping out of the, that relationship and, you know, now just being very conscious of who I share what with as far as those vulnerabilities that, that are my insecurities that allow someone to control me. Um, exactly. So it's like, like know yourself, know your, I don't want to call them weaknesses, but know your, your soft spots. And then if somebody's attacking them, you know, that's a a sure sign to, um, to, to, you know, try to cut the cord. So uh, Becky, you're, you're working in this space that is not, I mean, it's heavy. This is really heavy stuff. Um, it's not light and bright. So do you have any rituals or practices that you go through, um, daily, weekly, monthly, annually that kind of keep you in a, above the, above the negativity line? It's a great question. Cause I think that, um, people who work in advocacy or work in this space, often the burnout rates really, really high. And so even from a very early, I think early time, like when I first started working in, even in the court systems, one of the things that, um, people still today always laugh because one of my rituals is always taking a bath. Um, so even when I was in college and, you know, looking for a place and like with roommates or, um, one of the things that's sort of my time, me time is, um, taking a bath and just just sort of decompressing, um, and helping me like sort of de-stress, but be by myself. Um, I think also too, one of the things that's really important to me is fitness. Um, you know, I think as I've gotten older also as a, as a woman, you know, everyone uses fitness for different reasons, whether it's aesthetically on the outside or, you know, stress release or whether it's for, you know, you know, health reasons for me, it's, it's, it's something that's very cathartic as well. I need to work out in the morning, um, get it out of the way. It helps me sort of Zen myself, but also to, again, um, sort of being by myself when I'm always like around people and talking and surrounded by like sort of like a lot of noise. Um, fitness has really helped me a lot. Um, another thing too, for me is, uh, 
really finding quality, like, you know, QT time with friends and family. That's really, really valuable where you can take turn off your phone and really having honest and checking in with your, with your, with your loved ones. And, you know, really listening to active listening. I think one of the things that we often do when we ask, and I've seen this with friends where I'll be like, you're asking me this, but you're going to ask the same question to four of the people because we're all going to talk about it. And, and you're going to not, you're not really, you're, you want to hear your answer to validate what you want to do. And, you know, that's not fair as well as you're wasting, you're wasting both of our times. And so one of the things, and I remember seeing that and hearing about that with her and, you know, saying that to her and then saying, well, do I do that? Like, you know, what is my sort of ritual with active listening and how do I really actively listen? Um, so that's something that I've really taken some time, you know, time to, to do. You know, one of the things that I wanted to share that my sister went through the same thing too. Um, we both, when I first started my nonprofit in 2006, and when she was, I think it was her, I think her first year of medical school when she was studying and, um, you know, really stressed out, both of us experienced alopecia. Um, I had it really bad where alopecia is sort of the sort of pattern baldness, um, that women often will experience. And usually the biggest reason for, for alopecia is stress. And so I literally in 2006, I was, um, I remember asking my partner at the time and he was like, you know, he obviously knew I was so stressed out because the doctor was like, you have to stress less about stress. You have to, you know, don't stress about stress. Obviously it's making it worse. And I was like, can you, can you give me a shot or like a lotion or some pills? Literally I had, well, I had literally like, um, like three inch basically spots oh, on my head. I, I, three of them that basically you could, it felt like a baby's butt. And there was no hair and they're just going bigger. I, but I couldn't see them because they're on my head. You know, I had long hair yeah. at the time. So, you know, where as a woman, you know, my hair was part of my identity and my like confidence. It was, it was debilitating where you're being told like, you can't, the only thing you can do is, you know, stress less about it. So I think that was an eye-opening experience for me to understand and realize, you know, not having control over my body where, you know, you really, you understand that you can only do so much. But if you can't even take care of your own self, how can you be good for anybody else? And so right. I think that was a very eye-opening as well as a kind of, you know, like you are human, you need to, you know, you obviously need to take a step back and learn how to slow down. But also like the question that you asked, you have to really find something personal that works for you to help you be able to um, decompress and, you know, be able to step, step out of what you're doing and take a moment and, you know, have some me time. Beautiful. And if you were to go back to, you know, a younger uh, self um, and give some words of wisdom, what age would you be and what would you say? So what I think would be the age that I would like to go back to and be able to, you know, talk to myself um, would probably be at the age of 29. Um, At the time, I had just come off the show, Survivor, and I was in this whole, like, I think rush as well as this whole idea. Like, I need to start this nonprofit. I need to go, go, go. I need to take the success from the show and the media exposure and create this thing. Um, and I didn't take time to really smell the roses. I didn't take time to enjoy this amazing experience because I think that because I was quitting my job and I was starting something new that I wanted to have, you know, have become successful right away. I feel that a lot of things got rushed, including relationships with friends, um, also with my family. 
And so if I could, you know, go back to a certain age, um, I think that it would definitely be 29, but more so in the big picture of a, a big juncture in your life where you're making everything from a ch- career change to dealing with a lot of different emotions and expectations, not just from, you know, from, from around you, but that you're putting on yourself. And I think that, like you mentioned as well, I think because I was, you know, just, just turned 29 and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to turn 30 very soon. And uh, what have I done with my life? What have I accomplished? Um, but, and so I think that that definitely was a time period that I wish I could have maybe said, to, you know, when you're in it, you, all you see is like what you have to get done. Um, but also learning to appreciate and experience that, you know, was a one, once in a lifetime experience and also being able to really, um, enjoy it for what it was. Beautiful. And where you are now, like, what are you celebrating? Or as I like to say, tooting your horn about. A couple of things I am able to express being proud of, um, right now at this sort of juncture in my life. Um, one, you know, a lot of nonprofits don't make it past year 10. Uh, or even make it to year 10 and to have Becky's fund, you know, be in our 11th year. I, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of passing the bar. Um, I'm not very, a very good test taker and I have high anxiety in those situations. And so people always talk about, even, you know, when I was younger and talking about what's one of your biggest accomplishments or what's your biggest accomplishment, passing the bar was, was definitely um, up there. I also think um, where I am in my life, I'm very happy you know, overall in terms of my health, in terms of the people that are in my life, in terms of my relationship with my, with my parents and my, and my sister and her, you know, her two sons and her husband, you know, I had a really big scare with my father, um, over the last um, two years. Um, and it put a really big, I think sort of eye opening sort of, you know, thing where I realized that we're not getting younger and the relationships that we have with the people who sort of formed who we are today, how important that is. And I think as we get older, you also realize, you know, the things that are, I mean, as cheesy as it might sound, you realize the things that are really important and to make sure to, again, tell those people how much you know they mean to you, spend time with them, make time for them. Uh, one of the things that I recently um, have, have, have had to experience was sort of impact of, um, you know, my age and what it feels like to be my age. And um, I, you know, for a long time, I played very aggressive um, sports, including football. Um, and I broke my fourth finger on my right hand, um, a couple years back. And instead of taking care of it and going to the doctor and, you know, getting it fixed, I just continued to play. I was playing in four leagues a week. So I was a little bit obsessed with football, but I was also, I also knew that with my personality and the work I was doing, it was a part of me that I used for my stress release. And then, um, after breaking the fourth finger, I ended up breaking my third finger and I've had, you know, uh, about four surgeries and I'll be having my fifth surgery on both fingers, um, in April in, in actually in LA. And I think that having this whole thing about taking care of yourself so that you can do things for the future, for the long run, instead of always doing things 110% and not thinking about the consequences. Um, I think that's something that, um, also that I've, you know, come to sort of have peace with, uh, as I think that I was always trying to do all these different things that I, you know, um, where I think you, you don't really have a reality check or gut check and you look in the mirror and say like, what are you doing? Like, what, why are you doing these things? What, what, you know, what do things that are really important and that are, are good for you and are healthy for you. And so, um, I don't know if that sort of answers your question of where you are today or what, you know, what you're doing with your life today and sort of some of the reflection, but 
one of the, th- you know, one of the main things is, um, doing things that you love, but also being around people and spending time with people that you love, that you care about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those are beautiful things to celebrate. Well, as we bring this conversation to a close, sure. um, is there anything that you would like to add before, um, before we say bye? I think that, um, like you mentioned, the whole reason the, I mean, I think that your, this whole podcast, this project, this, that you've, you've created, I think it's, it's really, really important, um, to initiate the conversations that we often, um, as women don't have. And like you mentioned, you know, like a lot of my experiences, positive experiences that I've had with other people, specifically with women is being able to, um, share. And I think that that we, when we use that tactic, even with our clients, a whole mirroring thing that if you let down your guard and show vulnerability, usually the person that you're with is more open to do it too. And I wish that as a society, we would, we would create more spaces for women to do this, not just, you know, in these spaces that we often have to create on our own, but I wish like institutionally there was more opportunities for women to be able to have these open, very honest conversations. Recently I was, um, I went to this event and there was a woman there that was with her friend and she sat down next to where the space I was at. And it was reserved for my girlfriends. We were, we were having a celebration for her birthday, but it was part of like a big fundraising event. And she was really, really like nasty to me. And, you know, and I obviously, you know, when you first receive this response and you're by yourself, you're like, you're like taken aback, you know? And then I saw her the next day randomly at another, another event and she called me some nasty words. And my first reaction obviously yeah. was that you want to, you want to re- retaliate because you're, you know, feel your, your pride is, you right. know, but then I took a step back and I was like, her issues are not with me. Her issues are, you know, with, she's not happy with herself or with her situation or X, Y, Z. But, you know, again, like part of me was wanting really to just go out to her and be like, you know, like we're, I'm the same as you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know why you're upset with me, but like, you know, like I, 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 you know, the whole idea, like let's women should, should be each other's best friends. We shouldn't be, there shouldn't be this negativity. There shouldn't be this competitiveness. You know, I feel like, but a lot of times I think society as well as messaging around certain things, um, pits us against each other and, and also prevents us from being able to share and learn from each other. And so that's something that I think that, um, if we could do more of that, such as through the, through your podcast and sharing you know, stories, as well as allowing women to be able to let down their guard and be transparent with each other and be honest and be vulnerable. I think that, um, that's something that I wish and hope that more women would be able to do with each other. That is absolutely beautiful. And, um, I love that you said that because for the longest time I would look at women and just think, Oh God, you know, uh, I guess a bit of maybe envy or jealousy. And recently someone had said, you know, you need to turn not to me, but it was just a video I was watching about turning jealousy into admiration. And then, you know, going towards those people that you want to be more like, and, you know, getting to know them and respecting them and respecting their process. And, you know, once you've learned to love yourself and empower yourself, everyone else around you becomes, a friend and an ally versus a competitor. So um, that's one of my goals with her drive is just to really show how similar all of us are and the struggles that we each go through, but also, you know, what comes with supporting one another and, you know, pushing yourself further and, you know, taking the journey 
um, or the road less traveled and getting off the highway and saying, you know, fuck this, I'm going to, I'm going to off road through life and it's going to be way bumpier, but it's going to be worth it in the end. It's going to lead me somewhere really beautiful. So thank you, Becky. Um, for sharing your story. And, um, just as we close, can you let everybody know where they can find, uh, find out more about your, uh, your organization? Sure. So, um, my organization, the, our website is www.beckysfund, B-E-C-K-Y-S-F-U-N-D.org. Um, and our focus, as I mentioned before, is really to empower people to, learn more about domestic violence and how to prevent it, as well as obviously directly being able to help get them out of the situation, whether it's, you know, through support financially, um, through legal, um, mentally, and also understanding that we all have a personal responsibility to be part of the solution. I think that just the same way that um, when you were talking to right now about women helping other women, I think we all have a responsibility to help on each other. I think that we, we are all given gifts, whether it's, you know, being able to communicate, um, being able to connect. Uh, I think that, you know, the, we have so, the, I mean, life is so wonderful. There are so many amazing things in, 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 you know, in this world. And I think as human beings, but especially as women, we have a responsibility to help sort of um, lift each other up to help us reach our goals. So thank you again for this opportunity. I really had a really amazing time chatting with you and your questions. And uh, I'm really excited for this project and and being part of your project. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much. It's such a blessing to have you. And uh, thank you for not only inspiring me, but inspiring others and being a beacon of love and goodness and um, prevention for people who really need um, this type of support. So thanks a lot for being on Her Drive. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.